Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Welcome to Free Life Community Church. I would like a little bit more enthusiasm than that. Can we get some? Okay, that's better. Welcome to those of you who are listening online and those in our radio broadcast. We are grateful and thankful to, uh, again, first of all, uh, have good weather that we can be in church today. Uh, it is January, or the last day of January, I guess, close to it, in uh, Indiana. Uh, but, friends, uh, the thing that never changes is the Word of God. And so I'm grateful that we have the opportunity today to start a brand new series, which is still within our all-in series. It will continue, Why Do I Need the Church? Now, I'll bet you, most of you know why you need the church. That's why you're here. Problem with it is, there's more reasons than that. And my aim through this series is to teach you what the Bible says about why the church is important to us. And in this first message, Better Together. I am all over this Better Together slogan. I think that Better Together opens up incredible possibilities for the church. And I would like you, if you would be so kind, to take a little journey back in time with me this morning. 1975, 76 time. Some of you are like, yeah, I wasn't around. <laughs> right? But I remember I was about the fifth grade, I think, fifth or sixth grade, something like that. Maybe fourth grade, I don't know, something like that. And anyway, I started to find that I was uh, in an elementary school in Silver Lake, Indiana. Anybody know where Silver Lake, Indiana is? Some of you might know where that is. Well, I went to school there. There's no longer school there. The school's there, but, the, but it's not a school anymore. But anyway, that's where I went to elementary school uh, all the way through the sixth grade. And, um, and some of you may be aware of the fact that I wasn't the biggest kid in the class. I was small, skinny, puny whatever you want to call it. I wish I was a little punier now. <laughs> Things change, you know. And uh, so I was skinny and puny, uh, and basically uh, I was the last kid picked for almost any team. Well, maybe not the last one, but pretty close to it. Why? Because everybody who was bigger was picked first for almost every sport and anything we were playing on the school playground. Has anybody ever experienced that? We were the last one picked. Anybody? It, 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 let's just tell it like it is. It sucks. It stinks. It's terrible. You, you feel about this high, and sometimes you are that high. That's why you got picked last. And so I didn't care for that. It's like nobody cared whether or not I had athletic ability or not. I did, but they didn't care about that. They cared about size. And to them, the bigger you were, the better you had to be. Right? I also found that things changed there, too. I remember uh, my high school reunion. I'm going to go back to the grade school thing. But I remember my high school reunion uh, a number of years ago. I think it was my 25th or 30th year. I don't know, something like that. Uh, and I had not gone to one before. 
I was in the core and I was other places and I never went to one. And when I went there, I saw that a transformation of people had taken place. Now, I went to Warsaw Community High School and we graduated 1,100 kids in my class. That's, that's a big class. Bigger than probably most of you in your class. But Warsaw is one of the top five largest schools in Indiana. And the reason is because it draws in from all, all around the area, several communities in a you know, 10, 20 mile radius. And so you get a large group of kids. And of course, my kids also went to Penn High School uh, in northern Indiana, and that's number one in Indiana right now in size. So, which is why good sports programs come out of those, because they have such a big base. And so, in any case, um, I went to my high school reunion, and I found that th those who were less than in school were a lot more than now. And those who were the, what we called the beautiful and the popular and the and whatever, well, <laughs> sometimes time hadn't been kind to them. Things change. And I think people were stunned when they saw me. I was no longer skinny and puny and what have you. And when they found out what I did for a living, they didn't believe me. And they said, no, 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 really, what do you do? I said, I'm, I'm a minister. I, I am a full-time Christian minister. I pastor a church in Terre Haute, Indiana. And they're like, what do you really do? <laughs> like I, every, it's like I had to defend that to everybody I went to because things changed. And so here, here's what I found, friends. When I was on that playground, all I cared about was belonging. Being equal with everybody else or being thought well of. Being one of the first people picked, you know, when people want you on their team, yeah? I wanted to get the ball. Because I found out that when I played, I might get picked or I might not. But everybody had to be picked. So, and then, so when you're one of the, they go, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll take him. Oh, great. That's, that's, everybody wants to hear that, right? It's almost like there's between you and somebody else, and they take the lesser, you know, of the evils. Or the lesser. Of, and you're thinking, really? But in their minds, they want to win this ball game. It's just a pickup game on the playground. But they want to win, and they have already in their mind know that the first three or four or five kids that they've chosen are the ones that's going to carry this team to victory. And you are on the team only because the, you had to be. And how many times do you think the ball comes your way? How often do they let you carry the ball? How often do they throw to you, or let alone let you throw it? That doesn't happen. And if it's in kickball, you're the last one to kick. Yeah? Why? Because we tend to want to put those that we think are the less than at the bottom of the order. Really, that's strategically not real bright, but that's what we did. So in any case, you know how you feel. And I remember having this huge desire to be desired, to be wanted, to be thought more of than I was. And I have to tell you, on any team that I played on, I didn't feel like I was together with anybody because they didn't really want me. They could have cared less if I was on that team or not. Now, things changed. Around about high school, started to grow a little bit. And some people began to see that 
This guy's an athlete. This guy can throw the ball. This guy's a pretty good wrestler. This guy can play baseball. And he's not really tall enough for basketball, but he can hit the bucket. <laughs> Do you see why? I had some natural ability, I think, but I made it my business to go out and be the best I could be. And it shows in my life because of what I went through, and I wasn't going to do that again. I chose to enlist in the Marine Corps because I felt that was the best branch that we offered because I know the training's longer, harder, and they called themselves the few and the proud. And there was a commercial that used to say, let's see if you've got the medal that it takes to be a Marine. And I thought, well, because <laughs> my dad had convinced me to go in the Navy, and I, that's what I thought I was going to do, because he was in the Navy. And when I went into the Marines, my dad wasn't incredibly pleased. He said, well, I always, I always wanted to have a nice warm bed at night. I don't want to sleep in a foxhole. Dad was wrong about some of that, because Marines have warm beds too mostly. And just because you're in the Navy doesn't mean you're going to have a nice warm bed. But either way, that's what I chose. And, and, and it shows in my life and everything. I tried, I tried to get into the best schools that I could. You know, and when I couldn't get into Notre Dame, I thought, well, it looks like University of Hawaii because that's where I was. You know, but I wanted to go to Notre Dame, but I couldn't get in there. It's, but I've always wanted to be the best that I could be. And I suspect that some of you have the same thoughts running through your head. You're probably thinking, you know, I didn't fit in either. There's a lot of things I didn't do well. And, and, and some of that you still carry. Some of the damage, some of the hurt, some of this desire to be the best. And sometimes we go out of our way to see to it that it doesn't happen again to us because we don't feel that way. And you know what else we'll do? We'll do it through our kids too. Come on. Because we don't want them to go through that. So we put them in every single thing we can. We try to build them up like we weren't. Tell me we don't do that as parents. Okay, now I'm not saying it's wrong. What I'm saying to you is we have this sense of belonging. And we have found that in the right situation, we're better together than we are alone. I have watched sports teams that are put together. I have watched musical groups that have been put together. And I'll tell you the truth, when you put certain combinations together, they're unbelievable. Everybody you know, who's ever done a fantasy football or fantasy baseball league knows what you're trying to do. You want to get the very best players that you think will bring you a victory. And you can't always get those players because everybody else wants them too. It's just the way it is. Every coach of every team I've ever known wants the very best available to them because they believe that they can be a more successful coach if they can have the best players available. But it isn't just ability. It's what's in here, too. It's what's in here. You cannot coach heart. Coach DeLille will tell you that's a fact. Can't coach heart. Either you have it or you don't. And you try to instill heart in some people, and they just never grasp it. They don't want it. They've got ability beyond imagination, but they have no heart. That's, that's life. And I found in this passage, and there's several scriptures we're going to use. We're going to use chapter 1, verses 18 to 23, uh, chapter 2, 8 to 10, and 19 to 22, broken up. And, you know, I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth here a little bit. And if you want to 
pick those out, you can. But Ephesians, Paul is talking about who you are in Christ. Stop gauging yourself who you are in this world. And start gauging who you are in Christ. Because not only are we better together, you are something in Christ. Everybody is necessary. And you belong. It's not like that in any organization on the face of the planet. But in his kingdom, it's a fact. And he wants you. Because his kingdom is better with you than it is without you. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. I pray that in the eyes of your heart, they may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and in his comparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And now we go into chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, but it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You are being built as a crucible or a vessel in which God can live. Wow. Now, friends, the Lord has always been clear that we're better together. And he signifies here that we'll always be better together. Remember, there's strength in numbers. How many of you know that there's strength in numbers? Yeah. Remember that scripture that the devil prowls around as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I would rather be with other Christians than alone in that. Amen? The cord of three strands is stronger than the cord of one. Amen? Always has been. Predators and the enemy will separate so that they can get to the, the weakling or the one that's by themselves. It's like that in everything in Nature, as well as in Christianity. And sometimes I find myself alone, and I shouldn't be. That's bad. Dangerous. Now, this message explains that all believers are blessed together in Jesus, not just as individuals, either. But as a community of faith in the church. And there are separate pockets of that all throughout the city today. Everybody going to different churches of all different names and denominations and 
groups of people. And even still, we're all together as the body of Christ, unless we aren't. There are churches meeting today that aren't Christian. But if you're a Christian church and you believe in the principles of the Holy Scriptures and, and you believe in the Trinity, yeah, then you are a Christian church. And we're all together, regardless of what church you attend. Because Christ said so. Because the body is the body. Amen? Amen? Okay. And here's the deal. Remember, God blessed the whole nation of Israel just as he has blessed this nation. I do not believe we would be who we are had it not been for God having his hand upon our nation. And I dare say I'm afraid he's taking it off. He's starting to exert less because we're not allowing him to. That's dangerous. And we're going to find out just how dangerous one day. But more than that, God wants to bless his church. Did you know that? How many of you know that God wants to bless his church today? He 100% wants to do it. And since God wants us together, we should live together under Christ. We should live together by and for Christ and with Christ. Because Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 speak volumes to us about what I call the four F's. And these F's are our spiritual fortunes. They are our spiritual framework. It is our spiritual functioning and our spiritual foundation. Those things are incredibly important. And after completely laying out the spiritual blessing that we have from the Father, as well as in the Son and through the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul here mentions that he has been praising as well as praying for the saints in the church at Ephesus. He was praying for them. He had been praying that the Father would give them a deeper understanding and knowledge of himself. That's a pretty good thing to pray for your people. He had been praying that they would come to a deeper understanding of his calling on their lives. He was praying that they would come to the realization of the wealth of the inheritance that they received as saints in the church. And he was praying that they would see the depth of the greatness of the power of God within the believers in the church. Those are the things he was praying for. Now, these passages teach us, first, and first of all, that we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I, I hope that everybody here understands that Jesus is Lord and know what that means. He is in control, in command, in charge, period. Your pastor is not in charge. He's allowed me graciously and called me to be in charge of some things. You understand? But it's his church. Amen? And if, if it ceases to become his church, then it's no longer a church. Not a Christian one anyway. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we lose sight of that as Christians. We look more to the pastor or the elders or the leaders of a church more than God himself. It becomes a place of the who's who and popularity and money and standing in the community rather than just being a church that's known for belonging to Jesus Christ. I'd like to say it isn't so, but it is so. The Bible tells us it's so. 
These passages also teach us that we should live as the handiwork of Jesus Christ. It should be seen with, we know that he's the one that built us as individuals and as a congregation. His work is what's done it. These passages teach us that we live as citizens in the kingdom of Christ. Yes, I know I'm, I'm an American citizen. I'm grateful for that. But friends, I'm, I'm, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God well before anything else. That takes precedent over anything else I might be. I believe you should have pride in your country, the citizenship of it. That's great. <laughs> but being a citizen of the kingdom of God is greater than anything. It always has been. And he's teaching us through these scriptures that we need to live for the fellowship of Jesus Christ. We need to live in and for the fellowship of Christ within us and realize that we're all part of his fellowship. See, all of these things ought to be within us as Christians, both as individuals and as a church. So let's talk about that. First of all, in Ephesians 1, we find that we live together under Christ. Now, Christ is unequivocally the head of the church. He always has been. And, and we need to touch base on that because this passage teaches us that Christ was raised from the dead, proving the power that he has. Amen? I mean, did Christ not prove who he is by raise, raising himself from the dead? Yeah, of course he did. I mean, nobody else has ever done that. Now, he's done it, and, the, and God used power through prophets to do it. But no, no medical doctor, even the, the brightest in the world, can raise somebody from the dead. They can't do it. Yeah? We've, we've come a long way in modern medicine. But that, that's, that's the threshold we, we've never breached. It is true that there are people that thought we might get there one day. And, so, and Walt Disney is not one of them, but that's wrongly been thought. But there are people who are cryo-frozen <laughs> cryo, uh, and sealed, hoping that the day will come when they can be resurrected. I got news for them. That ain't going to happen. No matter how good we get, only Christ can do that. Only God can raise people from the dead. You do know that, yeah? Right? Listen, I don't disagree that our medical science is, you know, getting better and better all the time. Yes. But we're not there yet, friends, because we're never going to get there. Only God can do that. Jesus was exalted into position. In fact, Christ is above every power, every king, every government, every authority, every army, everything. That means every person, regardless of who they are, what position they hold, how popular they are. None of that matters because they're under him whether they want to be or not. And if, even if they won't acknowledge it now, they will one day. They will. The Bible tells us that, doesn't it? That we will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, yeah? It says every tongue will confess, right? And every knee is going to bow, yeah? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Even if they don't know it now, they will. And that means, friends, he is the head of the church, period. And as soon as he isn't, then it's not his church. And then it doesn't matter what you do. He's not just our Savior, he's our Lord. And I wonder if we understand what that means. This, my friends, will be the proof of whether one is actually a Christian or not. If he's your Lord or not. 
You see, it, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. It doesn't matter if you think you're a Christian, if you go to church, or really what you do. Now, there are expectations for you as a Christian of things you ought to be doing. I get that. But doing those things alone without surrendering here or completely surrendering here means nothing. The Bible tells us that too, doesn't it? I, I, I know we don't want to hear it, but it says it. And so we have to take it at face value. You see, honestly, I don't see that many true Christians today because I judge their Christianity based on the word of God, not what they do or say. Not what they do or say. I didn't say they weren't good people. I didn't say what they were doing wasn't good. I just said, I know that God judges based on what he says as Christian, not what we think it is. And I know you're getting tired of hearing that. But there's a reason why God keeps repeating it. And the fact is, friends, we're either going to be found in him or outside of him when he returns. That's, that's a fact. More than that, all Christians in the church are equal. I know we don't set our hierarchy that way. I know we don't see it that way. I know that we think, well, you know, it starts with the pastor and, and the assistant pastors and then the elders, or if you have them, or the church board, or and people in positions of authority and ministry and whatever it happens to be, that's where it starts. And then, and then it trickles down to filters based on popularity and then some other things. And there's, in the church, even in the church, believe it or not, there's, there's those here and then there's the least of these. And everybody in here fits into one of those categories in our human thinking. How accurate is that? And right now, you know what you just did? You just, in your own mind, try to determine where you are in there. Because that's what we do. And yet the least of these are just as important as the most of these. Jesus said so. He said, the poor will always be among you. That means we're going to have the least of these among you too. Amen? But in the body of the Christ, there are no big folks or small folks. We're all under his authority and his responsibility. We all have equal authority and responsibility. Now, friends, I, I think that we will start with equality of worth and value because these are the hot spots. We judge ourselves and one another based on the equality of worth and value. And we determine who's of value and worth and where we want to be in value and worth because that's how in humanness we look at it. And God does to a point, but mostly what we don't do is look at the value of responsibility. And everybody in here, from me all the way down to whoever you think is the least of these, has the same responsibility in the kingdom of Christ. Every single one of us has equal responsibility in the kingdom of Christ. Now, that might be a new concept to some people. But you know why? Because we don't think of it that way. Again, we, we look at things differently than God does. We shouldn't, but we do because we're human. And I know we struggle here because nobody walked in any church this morning and thought to themselves, I know that I have equal responsibility in the kingdom of God just like the pastor does. We just weren't thinking that way. I mean, I guess it's possible somebody did, but I doubt it. No, we came to get something from the service today because that's why we go to church, to get something out of it. 
Didn't you come to church today to get something out of it? How many of you came in the church today and said, I'm coming to church today to see what I can give it? Probably very few. But that's what Christ is asking you. Not what you can get from it, but what you can give to it. You see? Because that's what he would do. You want to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? That's what he would do, because that's what he did. Jesus didn't see what he could get from it. He didn't see what he could get from people. He came to see what he could give them, knowing that if he gave to them, they would give back to him because they would see the value of it, the investment. And so, friends, we all have responsibility, and we're going to have to begin recognizing that and then accepting it. For this is going to happen whether we want it to or not, and we're going to have to look at these things. We've got to surrender to him. We've got to submit to him. We've got to serve him. That's what he's requiring of us, what he's requesting of us. And we need other saints, other believers, not only here but in other local churches, be on the same page. That we see the value in one another and stop some of this petty uh, competition that we have between churches. And if, if our pastors met yesterday down at the Baptist church, that, and we talked about that. We're better together than we are separate, I'm telling you. Yes, you should love your church and, 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 and like to agree with what your church believes. That's great. But remember, all of our churches, if they're Christian, have value. Some of them are deeper spiritually across the board than others are, but we all have value, and we all have the same responsibility to Christ. All of us. And we need to understand, friends, that Jesus is the king and we're the subjects. And none of us is higher than a subject under his rule. We need to remind one another that Jesus is the master and we are the servants. All of us. And there is nothing in the church that you should be above doing. Any of us. Any of us. And it doesn't matter what your name or title is. Now, see, this is something we all know. question is, do we practice it? And the fact of the matter is, as humans, we sometimes think more highly of ourselves or our authority or importance, and we certainly do the same with other people that we serve. We will put people in position in our minds where we think their ability or their importance is. Because there is hierarchy in the church. Problem with it is sometimes it's the wrong hierarchy. Christ is the head and he has appointed others over us. I know that. And so that means that we all have to submit to somebody. You might say, well, you don't. Well, yeah, I do. I submit to the church board whether I want to or not. Not on everything, but on some things. And beyond that, I submit to somebody higher than me whether I want to or not. And in the end, who do I really submit to? Right here. And as soon as I don't, we have a problem. Just as we all do. And the fact is, if we accept our position and be happy in it, then God's kingdom will flourish. Because God is looking for servants. 
who realize that we're better together and that we live together under him. And it really doesn't matter what people think of you. It matters what he thinks of you. And if you're willing to do what he's asked you to do, even if you think it's beneath you, and if you'll have the right attitude about it, the kingdom will flourish. If everybody stopped worrying about what position they're going to have, or if it's higher or lower than what they really want, the kingdom would flourish. It's like that on every single ball team. The people who are the selfless people help the team. And those that aren't, don't. I've heard parents, I've heard them, drag a wrestler aside or a ball player aside and say, don't worry about these other fools. You get yours. And that's the worst possible advice you could ever give a kid. Worst. Now, what they should say, you are part of this team and you give your very best and you expect a demand, they do the same. And if you do that, this team might do something. Problem with it is, on any sports team, and you watch in the NFL, you watch in the NBA, you've even seen it in college football, baseball, whatever. When you have a team of individuals, what that team could do is never realized. It's never realized. It doesn't matter how much talent they have. Ask the New York Yankees about that. I've watched them again and again. Had the highest payroll in all of baseball. With some of the best names and the best talent, and they do nothing. Because they're all thinking about, what about me? What about me? Look at me. I want to have the highest contract. I want to be blah, 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 blah. Huh? Okay. I'm not picking on New York Yankees. I'm saying that that's who we've become. And if it happens in the church, friends, well, you know what's going to happen. But here's the deal. If the Lord will bless us if we live together under Christ, if we stay in our lane, if we stay in our position and be happy about it, we won't grumble against it, we won't gossip, and we'll be part of the solution, not the problem. We'll be a team player. We'll be a servant. And the kingdom will benefit. You know why? Because at the wedding feast, we're all going to be assigned to our place, and I think we might be surprised where we're going to sit. <laughs> I don't want to have any surprises. Do you? If I'm going to have a surprise, I want it to be much higher than I ever thought it would be. Anybody want to share that? Well, we better get used to it right here then. Secondly, we have to live together by Christ. You see, you can only live by Christ. This, this, this is the thing that gets me. In chapter 2, Paul tells us that those who will listen, there are some things that none of us want to hear. He said that we were dead in our sin. Okay, maybe we would buy that. Maybe we would say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know that. But then he tells us that we are directed by Satan. <laughs> now, wait a minute here. Everybody takes exception to that. I think most people sort of bristle at that. And even now, if you told somebody, well, you know, you're directed by Satan. I've told you before, and some of you kind of giggle at it. You know, I heard a story one time where uh, this kid was messing around and messing around and messing around, and Gretna Sankey comes to mind. <laughs> you know, I, I know what she would have done. How many remember Gretna? I know what Gretna would have done if somebody screwing around in her clinical class. Anybody know? She had a paddle hanging downstairs. I don't know if she ever used it. Did she ever use it, Craig? You can confirm deny. Yeah. But, I, but Gretna, okay, so Gretna was, uh, I, 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 I was afraid of Gretna. She's bad to bone now. But you knew where she stood. And I had a, a gal by the name of Mary Prizer. She never, she never cracked me, but she probably should have. Either way, 
Okay. I heard a story about this kid who was screwing around, messing around, and finally a Sunday school teacher had enough, grabbed a hold of him, shook the kid, and said, I, young man, I think the devil's got a hold of you. He said, oh, I think so too. <laughs> you know, different perspectives, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And see, see that? We kind of we have to look at that, you know? If you tell somebody, I think Satan's got a hold of you, well, we're going to say, no, wait a minute here. That's kind of harsh. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but hey. Right? Isn't that our normal response? And if you were telling somebody that today, not only would they bristle at it, but they would likely be offended and not believe you. But when Paul slams a door on our pride by saying that we are dominated by sinful desires, whoo, that's going a little bit too far. If we, if we, got together, you and I, or you and somebody else, and, and one, one person said, you know, I think you're dominated by sinful desire in your, in your life. What would you do? You'd be furious. Some of us would say, why would they think that? And take a look at ourselves. And others would like, not a chance. Right? That's humanity. Because we don't want to believe that. We always look for the good in ourselves because it's our defense mechanism. Isn't it? It's the first thing a person says when, when, when asked if they're a Christian. And they immediately go to what they think is good within them. And Christians do it too. Well, I'm a good person. Or I do these things. I, these are all the good things I do. That's the first thing we do. We want to defend ourselves with what we see as the good. And then we, if, 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 it isn't, if people don't buy into it, then we go to find others that we think will tell us that. Back. We, we, we go and, and, and we look for Approval. We're good at that. It's so important to us. What other people say? Because then we say, well, so-and-so thinks it, so-and-so thinks it. But if we're willing to believe Paul and accept the truth about ourselves, there'll be room for improvement, amen? There will be a, this willingness to change. You see, if we don't think these things are actually wrong with, with us, then there's really no reason to pr- improve or change. If you don't think there's something wrong, you're not going to fix it. So, once we do see it, God can move. And the good news is that we can be delivered, and we have been delivered by Christ. Nothing is from ourselves, though, and that's what Paul says, because if, if, if you thought you did it, or your actions did it, and made you a good Christian, then you could boast about it. And you do. You do. Because that's what humans do. You see, people are prideful. We're proud of ourselves and our accomplishments. I was watching this competitive cooking show on TV the other night, and uh, every single one of these aspiring chefs, every single one of them, when they got, it's, it's, it's a... Uh, forget the name of it, uh, but it's Gordon Ramsay, and he, he gives them a, a, an apron if they, if, they, if they make it, yeah, and they get to compete, and every single one of them said, I, what do you think, well, I'm just proud of my accomplishments, <laughs> I'm not saying you shouldn't be, but there's a limit to this, and unfortunately, I don't think humanity knows what it is anymore, that's how much we think of ourselves. And when you think so much of yourself, you're not thinking too much of Christ, and that's a problem, especially in the church. Because outside of him, you can do nothing. 
That's why Rick Warren stresses in the first line of his book, The Purpose Driven Life. It's, it's not about you. And I suspect that some Christians picked up that book, read that, and got so furious they put it down and never read it anymore. I think so. I don't know it, but I'll bet. I'm willing to bet that that happened. And the fact is, it isn't about you. And don't tell me we're not raising our children to think that, that it's all about them. Don't tell me we're not. And here's what's happening. When we give our kids whatever they want, they'll want more. And then, when they want more, we'll do whatever we can to give it to them. Because we don't want them, remember going back now, we don't want them to go through what we did. And I understand that to a point. But there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Whenever you let your kids think that they're more than they are, well, they're going to have rude awakening one day in society. Anybody with me? Okay. And if you come to class tonight, you'll find that this is how culture has slipped away from real Christianity and what we call brand Christianity, where you can make it anything you want it to be because there's people that would agree with you. And that must be Christian because it's good. That's happening hugely across the board. And every pastor who's been to school will tell you that. Pastor Bob, right or wrong? It's happening. Pastor Jonathan, right or wrong? Happening. Right now. And that's the biggest problem we have. And devil's brilliant in what he's doing to the church. Because it comes to competition. And so now what's happened, we've created a society that thinks it is about them. So you only live by Christ, and it's most definitely not about you, nor can it be. And if we keep teaching and allowing our kids to think it's about them, then they will not be real Christians when they're adults, and they'll buy into this brand Christianity. And friends, if they do that, there's nothing you can do about it. God will have to convict them not to change on it because you can't do it because they're adults now. And every one of you has a child now that you taught to be different than they are, and you wish you could go back and change something to get them back where they belong. Anybody? It happens like that. Like that. Furthermore, salvation is a gift. And when he says, for it is by grace you've been saved, he's communicating that Christ didn't save us because we deserved it. We think we deserve everything, but we don't. Tell somebody today that they don't deserve something and see what happens. Amen? We've taught ourselves today that we deserve lots of things. And God is saying, no, you don't. Now, maybe in society, you know, you deserve to be treated with respect. Maybe in a relationship, you deserve to be treated properly. Maybe in a court of law, you deserve to be treated fairly. Maybe in a job search, you deserve to be treated equally. But in life and in this world, the opposite is true. We didn't deserve to be saved, but we received it anyway. That's why it's by grace. And you know what, friends? It's all because of Jesus that you got it. Just because you stay out of trouble, live a moral life, help others, and are usually respectful toward people. And you can always find somebody who isn't those things. You'll feel better about yourself. And that's not what Jesus is asking from you. He doesn't care if you're better than the person sitting next to you. He wants you to be what he wants you to be.
regardless of what the other person is or not. And the sooner we get that under our belts, the better church we're going to be as a whole. You see, salvation comes when the lost person bases his or her whole life on earth and throughout eternity on Christ because it is a gift from God. And that communicates that, the, that it is grace and faith that saved you. All God is asking us to do is live up to his standards. That's all he's asking. And may the Lord help us to live up to this gift. Thirdly, we live together for Christ. This is, this is a big one. See, our lives are absolutely not our own. And, and one, of the, one of the most used statements by people is, it's my life. And I say, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Have you ever done that before? It's my life. Has anybody ever told a parent, it's my life? None of you ever did that. I'm the only, okay. I'm the only one in here that ever did that. All right. Got me scared for a minute. I thought, boy, you're really bad. Yeah, it's my life. No, it isn't. There's even a song by Bon Jovi. It's my life. Yeah. There's another song out there by Bobby Brown. It's my You've been listening to it. Huh. Yeah, it's my prerogative, right? And now it's dancing in your head, isn't it? It's my, who, who's doing it? Who's, whose mind went there? It's my prerogative. I do what I want to do. It's my prerogative. Anybody? I look at Bobby Brown and say, yep, and it shows too. Morally, yeah? Come on now. You know what Bobby Brown needs? Jesus Christ. And I don't think he's got him. Regardless of what he says. And I'm not picking up Bobby Brown. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying it isn't your prerogative. It isn't about you. And it isn't your life, neither, if you're a Christian. When you accept Jesus Christ and decided to submit to him, it's no longer your life, is it? How many Christians do you really think are actually living life for Christ, and how many do you honestly think are living life for themselves? Christians now. Henceforth, the book of Ephesians. These were Christians in the church. And Paul says, it's not about you. It's not your life. He gave it to you. Hmm. And if you accept him, then it's his life. Amen? And the same, is it different now than it was when this was written? I don't think so. Unfortunately, we've made it that way. And you know what, friends? you became a new creation, which is, means that the term handiwork carries this idea of something hand, uh, handcrafted work of art. Essentially, you're a masterpiece designed by the master. You may not think it, but you are. In uh, the movie Moneyball, one of my favorites. Anybody like Moneyball? <laughs> Billy Bean walks into the clubhouse at the Oakland A's and they're 20 games out of first place. Roundabout. May, I think, or June. And he says, he, he walks through the clubhouse, he's going, and then he stops, he goes, hey, they're all getting ready for a game. He says, hey, you may not feel like a champion, but you are one. <laughs> and you know what, friends? They looked at their record and thought, no, we're not. <laughs> not yet, anyway. And I, and I, I can tell you this, and Coach DeLille will, will agree with me here. I don't know how many wrestlers I've seen walk out on a mat, John, and 
they know the kid that they're going to be wrestling, and they've already defeated themselves right here. It's all right here, isn't it? And he knows, and I know, that anybody can win any match. Saw it yesterday. If you're defeated here, you're defeated. If you think you can't win, you won't. Amen? And if you think you can't win against Satan, you're defeated already. And the fact is, God's already done it for you. He did it for you, and you win. You might not win every battle, but you win the war. Amen? Because you are a new creation. I've got to move quickly here. Lastly, we live together with Christ. Friends, we are family. I'm all over it today, Sister Sledge. <laughs> Sister Sledge! Who remembers Sister Sledge? <laughs> Some of you are down. Not, not, that pastor, he's got my mind all over the place today. <laughs> we are family. Mm-mm-mm. We could probably have occasional choir and do it. Maybe. I don't know what would happen if we did it, but hey, you know, but it'd be fun. Friends, not too far from here stands Mount Pleasant United Methodist Church. Now, the pastor down there doesn't know that I'm going to say this today, and Pastor Aaron, who started it, doesn't know I'm going to say this today, and if they're listening, or they, they, I know pastors sometimes creep on each other and listen to our stuff. But the fact of the matter is, I don't pastor uh, Mount Pleasant United Methodist Church. I don't even, I'm not even in the Methodist Church anymore. I was years ago as a kid, but I'm not anymore. Uh, and, but there's a sign in front of the church that tells a lot about them. It tells all the things that they're doing throughout the week and tells about, you know, different things and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's a really cool sign. It, it's digital and, it, you know. But at the end of the, the bottom of that sign, it says, we are family. I don't know what else is on that sign. I, I, never, I never focus on it, but I, I know what's on that sign. Because they believe it. And they've built their church on that principle. We're family. That's what Pastor Aaron wanted to do. And it's been continued by Pastor Dennis. That's, that's what they are. They, they have a plethora of life groups, and that's how their church is built, in their family. If they've done nothing else well, they've done that very well. They want to be known as family. Pastor Chris and I uh, went to, and Jessica went to um, a uh, John Maxwell Live to Lead seminar. We go every year, Chris and I do. Um, and one of the speakers said, what do you want to be known for? And what are you known for? <laughs> Somehow those things need to come together, don't they? So I don't know what we're known for. But I know what I'd hope we're known for. And we, we might not be able to change what we're known for, but we can work on that by knowing what we want to be known for. Friends, In Christ, we all live together. We're all part of his citizenship within the saints. We're part of his stewardship. We're part of his fellowship. We're part of his worship because we're all necessary. Think about it. If good and evil cannot coexist, and the Bible's clear that they can't, if the Holy Spirit can't live in a person whose spirit doesn't match with God, then how can real Christians and somewhat sort of kind of Christians live together in harmony? We can't. Not possible. Because one is always going to be contrary to the other. They're always going to be at odds, aren't we? And if, if, if you really want to get technical here, you really want to get honest with yourself, if there is some type of uh, uh, controversy or contrary 
in the church. If there's some kind of headbutting, if there's some kind of disagreement, I don't care what it's in. It, you know, one of the things, we're, like I said last week, uh, I did some research and, and I found that th the biggest problems and controversies seem to be within the worship teams of churches and the small groups of churches. Because people stinking can't get along. That's what, it shouldn't be there in those things. I could get it if one person, you know, when we redid the sanctuary and, and, and somebody said, you know, oh, I don't really like that gray, Pastor. I said, well, okay. I get that. But when we're talking about our worship team, I'm not saying we have it, but that's what churches have, a problem there. There are certain people in bigger churches that have several different worship teams. They have to put people on the worship team that they'll get along with. You should, we're, we're not the Beatles. Who couldn't get along? Right? We're, I, I get it when outside you don't get along and you break it. I get that. But Christians should be able to play with anybody and get along. I get it on the playground with kids can't get along with that kid or that kid, so they can't, the team never goes anywhere. I get it in professional sports when they're all about themselves, they can't get along. I get it. But in the church, we ought to get along, be a servant to each other, and it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. You, you should be able to be in any life group that we put you in. It shouldn't matter. In fact, you should welcome the opportunity to get in and get to know some new people. Shouldn't we? Now, I'm not going to try to put you in groups. We're just trying to expand the church. And anything that we do, anything Mandy and I do, I promise you, is because we're trying to get other people into groups. <laughs> So we can all be in one. Because in the end, what's it going to do? We're family. And I have gotten into groups and done things that the pastor, when I was not a pastor, I was asked to do things that I didn't want to do it. But I did it because I was asked to, and I usually had a poor attitude about it. And God said, you know, you got a poor attitude about it. You know, why, why can't you hang out with those people? Why can't you do that? Why can't you? And why can't you just be part of it and not be the leader of it? Why can't you? And I said, okay, God. And you know what? <laughs> it didn't take very long for me to figure out this is beneficial to me. This, this is working. This is good. But no, we got something in our mind. And so I have it. We deprive ourselves now. And other people. And the church itself. And all we had to do is say, okay, I'll do it. Sure, I'll do it. Why not? I mean, I don't care what group it is. We're not going to cook and eat you. It's just a group of people. And you can get alone, and it doesn't, you know what? I hope you, you get into a group where the people there are different than you. That would be a good thing. I promise you this, if you go in there, you will teach each other. And you will have a love for people that you did not have before. That's a fact. Now, I don't know if we have that problem here or not. Maybe a little. But those are the two areas where churches struggle. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't. The third one is their elder board or church board. I praise God, we don't have a lick of trouble on either one of our church boards. Not a lick. I'm grateful for that. Because it hasn't always been so. Friends, if we're all part of the family, and we all just want to uplift the other, and be the best we can be, and be a servant, we'll never have those struggles no matter what we're in.
And you know who benefits from it? Him. And then you know who benefits? You. Every time. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I know you get sick and tired of me telling you over and over what a good Christian really looks like. But there's a reason why I do it. One, God keeps directing me to tell it. Now, I don't know if it's for you or people listening online. I don't know. Maybe somebody will download it and listen. I don't know. But God keeps directing me to do that, so I do. Secondly, I just don't see the fruits in all of us that the Bible says ought to be there. I wish if a pastor would come up to me and say, hey, you know, is everybody in your church, are they? I'm like, I can't say, yeah, we're all, we're all right there because I know we're not because we can all be better. I don't know we'll ever get there, but by the grace of God, I want to try. I really want to try, and I want you to try with me because as soon as we're not growing together, we're done together. That's, that's, that's biblical. You know, friends, we want to seem to gossip and talk too much. And just because somebody told it to you doesn't mean you need to repeat it. There's no reason to repeat it. If no good will come of it, there's no reason to repeat it. Don't. Don't. Most of the time, it isn't true anyway. I could give you four or five situations in the last month where somebody said something that wasn't even true. And then the next thing I know, people come, does this? No. No. Why didn't you come and ask me? I'd have told you. Well, I don't know. No, we'd rather ask a bunch of people about it. And then it get, next thing you know, instead of people asking, did it happen? People said it did happen. Because that's what happens when it goes downhill. Friends, mostly when stuff starts in church, it didn't happen in the first place. You know what else? We argue about how to do things because we think our way is better. Don't. Prove to the other person that they have worth and listen to what they're saying. Is it going to hurt you to let them have their way and do it their way once in a while? No. In any relationship, it's putting the other above yourself. And aren't you grateful that Jesus put himself below you? That he put you above himself? Why can't you do it? Why can't I do it? We need to do it. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. It doesn't matter. As long as it gets done, who cares how it got done? Always work, typically. Now, if there are certain things we have to do a certain way, well, I'm going to mandate that, and we're going to do it that way. But that's on me. Or it's on the leader above you. If the leader says we're doing it that way, then we are. Other than that, it doesn't matter. And I began to think about that more and more and more. And I realized we want what we want in and out of the church. We want to control certain things instead of just being a servant and a supporter of those appointed over us. In every place in life, there's a hierarchy, including the church. But what happens when the insane run the asylum? Right? What happens when, a chi when children and teenagers run the household? I can tell you what happens. I've seen it. I'm watching it. What happens when the unappointed try to run the church? I've had this conversation with people, and they've, they've, they've come, and they've, they've made an appointment, and they said, you know, I don't like this, blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay. And I, one time, I even got it from my chair, and I said, here, 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 stand up. What? You go sit back there. What? Sit behind my desk back there. Why? You want to be the pastor? No, I don't. Yes, you do. 
Did God call you to be the pastor here? Because if he did, rock on. Well, no. Then what are we talking about here? Because you know what? I'm not this totalitarian person. I don't just, I'm going to do things because I want to. I've never, nobody can accuse me of that, I don't think. You know, but this is what we do. It, in, it happens everywhere. This is what people do. They want it their way, and they just can't see it any other. But God's kingdom is just like either regressing or plateauing when we do that every time. We want to grow it, yeah. We want to be together because we're family, and we're better together. And we all have our place in it. And you count, and your voice matters. I'll listen. I may not do it, but I'll listen. Because there are certain things you might not know. And shouldn't be privy to either. And I'm not saying we have a problem here. Because we, we really don't. But I know that if we start growing, those problems will arise. They always do. Because Satan wants to do that. God doesn't appoint all of you to be the pastor. He doesn't appoint all of you to lead the worship team. He doesn't appoint all of you to lead life groups. He doesn't appoint all of you to lead children's ministries. He doesn't appoint you to lead men's ministries and women's ministries, but he's called every one of you to be a part of those things. Every one of you is to be a part of those things. There is no such thing, there might be on a church board as an at-large member, but there's no such thing as an at-large Christian in the church. You're a member and you're part of it and you should be in those things. Because that's what God's called you to. And I'm just being honest. So we're family. And let's live together in the manner and way that God has directed and called us. And we'll be a healthy and productive church when we do. In fact, as our worship team comes, we, we, we must never change who we are. What God's called us to be. But we must change our thinking about who our family is. We must change our thinking about who our family is. Over and again, I've heard people say that they're closer to their church family sometimes than they are their earthly family. Have you ever heard that before? Anybody ever felt that before? In the church, we are in Christ and Christ is in us and we're part of the body of believers throughout all ages. Therefore, our citizenship is in heaven, although our mailing address is here on earth. Right? Isn't that really true? We are God's building where God's spirit dwells. And I, I pray personally that the Lord would help us and rep, to represent him, to reflect him and reproduce disciples for him before the world is watching us. Because they are. And it means that we're all needed. We're all equal. We're all necessary. Now, you may not like everybody in the church and you might have a spat with somebody in the church and there might be some people that you're working with in the life group or a worship team or on the church board or in the, in, in the children's ministries or whatever it is. And maybe you're, you're, you're doing a little bit of this, and maybe you're, you're not really getting along, and maybe you think you're, and you're certain that your way is better, or you got a better plan. Maybe you do. But is that really what's important here? And when you argue with each other and take the time to do that, and you dig your heels in, and you put your hand up, and you, you do that, how has God served in that? How has he ever been served in that? And God is just like, and the devil's going, yep, keep it up. Get yours. No. No. Because, friends, I got news for you. If you aspire to be a leader in anything, really aspire to it, you got to aspire for the right reasons. Not because you want it, but because you want to make a difference and God's called you to it. And if you aren't a servant first, you have no business being there.
If you can't be a servant to those that you're leading, then you're outside of the leadership of Christ. Because he said, the Son of Man came to serve. And serve he did. And that's what we have to be today. <laughs> One phrase I want you to remember. But God. This is my statement these days. There's a lot I don't like. But God. Right? And when there's something you don't like, understand. But God. And look there. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.